0: Welcome to I'm From the Internet, a podcast about somethingawful.com, the goons, and their consequences. I'm Winslow Dumain, a comedian and illustrator out of Chicago, and I'm sitting with Jay Brandstetter, an internet historian. How you doing, Jay?
1: Oh, Doing great. Glad to be
0: here. I actually was just at a con. I was at Galaxy Con in Columbus, and so my whole weekend was filled to the brim with anime nerds and furries and, uh, you know, all the... All the accoutrement that comes with going to a con, it wasn't great. Like, I think I I do better at anime cons than comic cons, but I don't really know why because I do neither anime or comics. If anything, I I my stuff looks more like comic style, but I don't do either, so I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, that's
0: cool. Did, did you have like a dealer's booth there, or, or were you just there like this time? I didn't get to do a dealer's booth because I think I just like was super late on uh on getting it dealers booths can be like super expensive so i probably wouldn't have been able to swing it anyway usually if i'm doing a dealer's booth is 10 10 foot by 10 foot and so like to give you an idea of how much you're spending if i were to do that at uh c2e2 which is like the biggest comic con in the midwest right that's 1800 around, like just under two grand for that. Oh. for three days. And so I would split that with three other artists because I run a um, art collective called comorbid. So I just like whoever I want to split a, a show with, I just add them to the thing. But I'm at a weird point in my career where like I have way too much to fill out one artist alley table but I don't have enough to do an entire 10 by 10 by myself. And so like, also like my profit margins are still pretty tight when it comes to all this. So like doubling my expenditures on these things can be like kind of hair raising. So I think once I get my card game done, I'm going to have to like really re-examine how I do all of my con stuff because right now my booth is set up such that like I have half of it is talking just about the tarot deck because that's my highest ticket item And then the entire rest of it is like, I have a child's casket full of prints. And then I have all my pins and stickers and all the other silly things and the bottles and stuff that I make. So it's very like, it's, split down the middle of one side is this goofball bullshit and then the other side is like all of my fine art stuff so it's a very fine art but it is difficult to figure out how to make these things work i've, I've spent many many hours just like preparing to figure out how to do cons more effectively
1: well it's very interesting to get that kind of look from the, the that side of it because i grew up like as a young adult with people who are organizing conventions but i've never actually like gotten i helped my artist friends do their stuff there but i've never gotten to actually like, experience getting to set one up, so that's really cool to hear about that.
0: There's, like, a little bit of a behind-the-scenes, but, like, even the artists there are not necessarily behind-the-scenes, because the one that I was at most recently, apparently a bunch of the other booths got together and are, like, writing a letter to the organizers of the con saying, like, you guys need to, like, be more discerning in your process of, like, allowing certain people here, because there were bootleggers in the artist alley. Oh, wow. Which like, I genuinely don't know how people are supposed to handle bootlegging because i'll be at record stores and i'll find like just straight up fake bootlegs of albums that are like being sold and like they're like not good quality they they're not good quality they're fake and they like they're not gonna play or sound good why are you selling these and like how are you able to do this legally right but like every year that I'm at C2E2, right across from me is a guy that has a 20 by 10. And he's selling nothing but just racks and racks and racks of bootleg DVDs. It's like a Blu-ray with every episode of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Like he just downloaded <laughs> all the streams. Or there'll be DVDs of like Netflix only shows. And I just don't know how how this gets by right because my friend has an etsy and like he he was selling some stickers that were like his drawings of like characters from dark souls and like bando namkai emailed him saying like you have to take this down and it's like this <laughs> like what's going on but i guess it's different when it's artist alley because artist alley it was like yeah you
1: can't really automate that it's like a person has this it- reviewing it all
0: Right. It was like the person in the artist alley was straight up selling another artist's prints,
1: which is wow. different,
0: I guess. I don't know. Yeah.
1: That's not like bootlegging, like a big theatrical movie or something. Like you're literally just stealing from artists at that point, like small artists. No, but I will say, cause I'm surprised. It's kind of surprised. It's still a thing. Cause one of my first convention I ever went to was, um, Megacon 2004 down in Orlando And when they did that, like, that's, the bootlegging was a huge thing there, but I I always thought that was just because, uh, like, torrenting hadn't really become as much of a thing. So it was like piracy was still very much a physical media thing. Like, I was a teenager, and I wanted every episode of Invader Zim, and I didn't have, like, BitTorrent or whatever. So I paid a guy 20 bucks and got a bootleg DVD with them all on it. And they were in horrible quality, but I had every episode.
0: So I've got that going on, and... um... Been getting a lot of good feedback on the pod so far. Got a lot of people commenting and, and getting involved in it, and that's very cool. And uh, please, you know, like and subscribe, tell us uh, what you like, and throw us a review. Reviews would be really helpful, and hopefully, we can get this thing to be a little bigger than what it is right now, you know.
1: Yeah, reviews are what the major thing in those algorithms, and that's how people who are maybe outside of the direct contact with us would learn about it. So, yeah, that would be really helpful. And also, it is, very, it is very nice. I've gotten messages from some of our listeners, from people who are, like, uh, former goons, reaching out and talking about how nostalgic it makes them and how excited they are. So, it makes me really happy I'm doing this. I feel like
0: being a goon is like being a Marine. Like there are no ex Marines, <laughs> you know, like a goon is just who you are. It's like being a cannibal. Yeah. You know, once you make that choice, you, that you're just saddled
1: that with that for your life. You're just a non-practicing goon. Well, what do you have for me today? All right. Um, well, I guess to start off, um, what are your thoughts on the TV show? Mystery science theater 3000, like give me your type five on that show about the funny talking robots, making fun of the movies. I'm going to be a hundred percent real
0: with you. This is like one of my big issues as a comedian and as like a, a, person who wants to make the world funny i have like such an enormous blind spot for like almost all media (laughs) like i i have never seen any ms3k i've seen one of the star wars i saw the one with dooku in it i don't know which one that is star trek never seen it like i have never been the kind of person who can just like settle down for long enough to like Watch something, much less watch somebody else make some some jokes about it. Though I think I did see. Are they the only ones who do the uh, the talking over the move riff tracks? Riff
1: tracks? That's, that's different. No, right? it's it's the people who did on who did Mystery Science Theater. Some of them split off and did their own things. That's like Riff Tracks and Cinematic Titanic. they are people who worked on Mystery Science Theater and then left the show and then went independent. Basically, okay,
0: yeah. So then I I've probably seen. I think I, I over heard like a chunk of one at one point in time but it's you know it's been been ages yeah why do you, is there something i should know
1: well it is about it is relevant to the story that i'm going to tell you today I and mean, i guess for my side of it it's i'm kind of the opposite where i'm very much a pop culture nerd who kind of grew up consuming media and learning a lot about but mystery science theater 3000 is a huge blind spot for me i think it's kind of more of a gen xer thing like when i was Growing up, a lot of like older nerds that I kind of looked up to talked about it and idolized it. But by the time I got to that age, I had stuff of my own to watch. It's like I have YouTube; I don't need to watch people on TV do it, making fun of movies. I have like people my own age to do it. But I respected and appreciate what they were doing and the kind of like how influential they were. How they 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 kind of like popularized the concept of riffing on a movie in that format.
0: It is weird to like go back to old old humors because like my favorite thing in the world for like retro comedy is fire sign theater and that was like god when did they start like the 60s and 70s like they're super old and um that was like the funniest thing in the in the world to me you know when i whenever i try to play it for somebody else they're just like what is this like bizarro stoner old man comedy that you're playing for me i'm like no this is this is what made me and my dad laugh on road trips. Like, what do you mean you don't
1: like it, you know? <laughs> uh, my, my dad would play Jeff Foxworthy tapes to me. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a little different. Right? <laughs> yeah. So the reason I asked that is because relatively one of the most infamous episodes of the show is about a movie called Manos, the Hands of Fate. Have you ever, okay. do you have any familiar with that movie at all? I do not. Well, Manos the Hands of Fate is considered one of the worst movies ever made. The story behind its production is like its own episode of The Dollop or something, I think. But basically, a guy who was a fertilizer salesman who had never worked in movies before kind of like had a big head and was like, I think I could make a movie. So he made this independent film with like local people. He shot it in Texas. And it is like just the movie itself is just very surreal and dreamlike and weird. And it's just it it doesn't feel like a movie. It breaks so many of the rules of filmmaking in a way that is actually kind of hypnotic and interesting. So it's it's a very beloved bad movie. And I'm a big fan of outsider art in general. That's a great way of thinking. It was shot in the sixties. So it's very much like this, like weird sixties outsider art thing of like all these people just on this, like, like the movie is about a family that goes on vacation and the house that they go to winds up having like a weird goat man and this devil man who has, like, a cloak with hands on it, and then they, like, do a weird thing with all these women dancing in in, uh, lingerie and everything. It's it's very surreal. Like, you could, like, put it on with it muted and music playing over it, and it would be, like, a really cool thing to have on the background at a party.
0: Okay, when was
1: it made? Here, I'll actually get the specific date just to be sure. In 1966, American no-budget horror film by Harold P. Warren. He wrote, directed, produced, and starred in it. It was one of those types of movies.
0: That makes me think of the time when I was in a a creative writing class and we were watching a trailer for a show or for a movie that was going to be called Worst Case Scenario, which looked dope. It was a Nazi zombie movie, but it had its own sense of humor and like the costumes were really incredible. And um, it won best trailer at a movie trailer competition. Like it was never supposed to be a full movie. They just made the trailer right. Then I was like, yeah, I told my friend is like, yeah, but obviously they're not going to be going to make it because they would need a lot more funding and they didn't get the funding. So and he said, "Uh, what do you mean they're not going to be able to make it? How much could it cost? All you need to make a horror movie is just a guy in a mask. And I was like, oh, (laughs) man,
1: (laughs) that's not how any of this works. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get to go over some of the details of that as part of this story. So basically it's this movie that comes out, you know, it's panned, it's, it's horrible, it's forgotten. Mystery Science Theater 3000 does an episode about it, and then all of a sudden it becomes this, like, beloved cult bad movie that people love to talk about. But the version that exists, the joke from Mystery Science Theater 3000 is that it looks like someone's, like, last seen photo that you'd see on like the, on, like, a flyer in the mail. Like, have you seen me? It looks like everything is very grainy and low quality and washed out, and, and very just. It doesn't look very good. It's very blurry. Even on VHS, it looks like shit. And that was the only copy of the movie that people had until one day on November twenty second, two thousand eleven, in Cinema Discusso on something awful, a poster named Ben Solo he uh, created a thread titled "Why I'm Saving Manos: The Hands of Fate," and he talks about. He was in San Diego rummaging through a storage space full of old film at like a rummage sale, and he's posting pictures. He found some film reels at this rummage sale, and if you want, we can read directly from his post here. I've been tipped off about an eBay
0: option that no one had bid on, probably because the freight was too high. It was boxes upon boxes of 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter film, titles that have been lapsed into public domain, all of which have belonged to the distributor called Emerson Films. Emerson's properties were familiar to anyone who had watched Mystery Science Theater three thousand back in the day, and had a few familiars that jumped out at me. Six copies of The Atomic Brain on sixteen millimeter, Hamlet on sixteen and thirty five, two copies of Mano's The Hand of Fate in sixteen millimeter. A piece of film history, I thought only half sarcastically, not intending to do much about it. But The more I thought about it, the more I was wanting to get back to the 16mm collecting, which is a hobby that can have an enjoyable social side to it. Who doesn't like to host a movie night and show actual film? I emailed the seller and made an offer on a small slice of the collection about what you'd expect to pay for about two or three 16mm prints and offered to pick them up. I've decided I'd like to own the Atomic Brain and Manos, assuming they were in good enough shape. I got our reply the next day. You can have all the boxes. You can choose to eliminate some of them, so be it. We are moving to Florida on the 27th, and we don't want them to be part of the move. The following Sunday, I was driving back from San Diego with my car completely stuffed, with a bill of sale tucked into my dashboard. In Los Angeles, I knew I could flip and sell the prints I didn't want, and more than break even. I had looked at a few reels on the loop, and I found them in great shape. No acidic odor. The one Manos reel I had been able to expect was a little faded, but otherwise good. Considering its rarity, it was well worth the trouble. I looked forward to checking out the others. When I got home, I found the other copy of Manos. Immediately, I saw the label, which read, Work Print.
1: And there's a picture of the film there's cans. There's a picture
0: there of the film grain. With, like,
1: the developer's grain, label on it. Whatever that means. And y- I mean, I think I know what it means. Yeah, so... And there's also an alternate title written on one of them. It says "Fingers of Fate" instead of "Hands of Fate." Fingers of Fate. So yeah, this guy he finds these rolls of ectochrome film, and he found the work print for this cult film. Just at someone's rummage sale. That's pretty. I mean, so I don't know if I've actually said this, but um,
0: when I was on tour with Derek, uh, Derek Sheen, uh, we're both like antiques nerds, and so I went to a bunch of antique stores. And I found a, uh, a little tin type like from 1840 of this gorgeous It was like very faded, this old lady. And I told the guy, you know, I bought it from the guy and he said, you know, when I was uh, I was going from shop to shop one point in time and I was at like an outdoor sale and I found this lady selling about 400 of these for a dollar each. And in each of them, there was a picture from the 1960s of the Grand Canyon. And I just bought them all as a lot. And then as I'm driving home, I pop out some of the, the Grand Canyon pictures and I realize that all of these were Civil War soldiers, which is like a staggering find. Like wow. each of those is like a few hundred to like thousands of dollars. And he just had a case of them like there, it's, it's something that's so incredible that like it, it goes beyond. I have a thing that's worth a lot of money and I can spend the money to buy things that I like to like. I have found something that I can contribute to the history of my country, (laughs) you know? Um, And I, that's why I love this stuff. I'm a junk hound. I'm a crap hound till the day I die. And so finding old weird stuff, like in just behind me, I have an enormous bowl of old films that I have yet to like research. So this is very, it speaks to me on a very dear level. Yeah. You had talked about
1: antiques before. So, so I thought this would be right up your alley. Oh, big fan. Yeah. And so he found this work print of it, and and the thing is, it looks really good. Like, these pictures oh, yeah. of it, it's it's these bright colors, the way it's shot, it looks very kind of haunting. And in the document, I put a comparison. Like, this picture here is what the version most people have seen looks like. That's, like, what the DVD looks like if you bought it at the time, where it looks like shit. It's, like, washed out. Uh, right. uh, but the, this one, it looks very clean and colorful, and you can see, like, more details on them it it looks like a I, it looks like a completely different movie
0: i uh yeah th- these look incredible and also like i uh one of the best gifts i've ever gotten is a really nice it's not even that nice but it, it's it's a flatbed scanner and so like i could take old films like these and scan them in at like insane dpi right mm-hmm. so like i would do these really intense ink paintings that are like you know you're just mixing ink on upo paper right yeah and then I would scan them in at, like, 2400 DPI, and it would take all day, and the file would just be staggeringly big. But, like, when you're shooting on film, you can zoom in on that essentially forever. When you're working with things like this, when it's actually, like, a properly developed film, you can get down to, like, the finest grain. It's it's just the most incredible stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. No, this is this is a, also going to be a nice episode for a listener to learn a little bit about, like physical film because I came of, like I love film. So I know a little bit about physical film, but all the times I've actually worked with it has been digital. So this is kind of a neat little story about physical film and how it's a chemical process and how it's developed and preserved and things like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, If this
0: wets your interest, there's a YouTube channel called technology connections and if you are a uh, very dry nerd like me, I love technology, it's man. just the best. Oh, he's he's the best. Yeah, he's he, so interesting. Yeah,
1: his sensibilities are very similar to mine. Like He, he has some very yeah, good photography ones as well. So-
0: A common refrain I've heard is that without Joel and the bots, the movie is unwatchable. But I suspect a big part of that is the bad visual presentation that the movie has always had. When you divest Manos of its grimy, unpleasant patina, you are left with an amateurish, weirdly edited, small-town horror film. But with a clearer view of the production design, paintings, metalwork, and the stone sculptures by Tom Neiman, a local artist who had played the master the off-kilter handmade world the film presents and the shaggy but poppy ectochrome photography by Robert Guidry, 45 years later, Manos assumes a different identity— as a fascinating bit of 1966 ephemera,
1: and there's some more pictures here. Like the production of this movie was very interesting because, like, all the props and stuff were made by one of the actors. Like, there's a painting of him I'm um, showing you here that was painted by one of them. And there's just all this really, all the costuming and the artwork. It is, it is, it's outsider art is a great way to describe it. It is such an interesting film. It is.
0: I love this stuff so much. Like, have you ever seen Begotten?
1: Yes, I know, I know about Begotten, the one where it's, like, yeah. the black and white and...
0: Uh, it's, like, the crunchiest possible film. Like, every single frame of that had to be, like, individually painted or, like, individually, like, dipped in acid or something like that yeah. to give it that exact insane look. Like a stop-motion so live-action movie. Even when you subtract, like, I want this to be a conventionally good movie experience, when you look at things like this, what you get is, like, it's everything that is captured from a time long ago it gives you a little glimpse into what the real of what that world was like whether or not it's it's a a good movie or not you know
1: it does yeah like
0: this is how this is what a bad movie looked like in nineteen sixty six We know what a bad movie looks like now, but now we know what a bad movie looks like then so it's always it's always interesting
1: yeah and like and this is a bad movie being made outside of the Hollywood system. this is what it looks like when like small town people in Texas try and try and make a movie this is what it looks like. And it's fascinating. For
0: those that aren't uh, able to uh, see exactly what we're seeing, these are just individual frames of a film uh, of like a 1960s woman with her done up hair and uh, a kind of loud looking dress that she looks like she's being chastised by a very grubby man uh, wearing a suit coat. And he's got some sort of bucket
1: hat on and, you know, he's got a pretty shitty beard. That's Torgo. He's great. (laughs) Torgo. One of the things you're going to learn is that this movie is in the public domain, so technically if you ever wanted to do anything with Manos or do our own commentary or anything on it, you can get a public domain print of this movie and just go ham with it. That's actually a part of the story, too, so you have that look forward to as well. This involves the public domain and copyright law. So already this is going to be, kind of building up, this is going to be about a lot of stuff.
0: Here is a truly independent horror film from the 60s, a contemporary of 1962's Carnival of Souls and 1968's Night of the Living Dead. The main difference being, of course, that those movies came from career filmmakers Hurric Harvey and George Romero, who had already made commercials and industrials and knew how a set should be run. Hal Warren, director of Manos, did not have that sort of experience, and the deck was truly stacked against him. Although he had not yet infamously sold fertilizer, that would come later, he was a good salesman, and he was able to rustle up a reported budget of $19,000, $132,000 in today's money, to get his script made. His cast and crew worked for a percentage that never materialized.
1: So yeah, this was like, this, this was... A bunch of amateurs, basically. These were local like, theater actors that he got. And everyone was just doing this with the promise that if it made any money, they'd split it up amongst themselves. And it didn't because it was an infamous flop. And also another thing to point out in this picture here is that little girl. is She's going to show up later because this was shot in the 60s. So by the time this is all happening in 2011, she's like an, she's like a, an older woman now. So she's hmm. still around. Another thing to keep in mind for later.
0: Interesting. If you yourself have ever been involved in an independent movie, Manos becomes somewhat poignant as you see evidence of the problems that have arisen and have been worked around or willfully ignored. Actors dropping in and out of production, a broken leg that stranded two in a car for their entire screen time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Somebody broke their leg and they were stuck in a car. Yeah. This
1: is, these two characters, they're, all they're their is in a car because one of them broke their leg and they couldn't actually like, walk around and do the stuff they were supposed to
0: This is where you get to the point where it's like the David Lynch stuff where he's like replacing characters in a movie. I think he did that in like Blue Velvet or whatever. And then but the exact same thing happens in the room, which is like, are you doing this because you are a far thinking, you know, film an art genius or are you doing this because you are a lunatic that is in over your head? There is a
1: Lynchian quality to this movie. Like if if it had like that sort of intense soundscape, this could be like an eraser head or something.
0: Yeah. If I, if I was just slightly less a desperate social butterfly, I feel like I could pull off the Henry Darger outsider artist thing, but I don't know that I could do that at this point. My life is too public to try to pull off like the lonely weirdo (laughs) making something in the dark. A lack of reliable electricity, which creates a murky, crudely lit effect at night and forces the photographer to spring-wind the camera when the motor couldn't be powered.
1: That's another thing about this movie's production. The camera that they use, it's it actually is spring-wound, so they could only shoot 32 seconds at a time when it was spring-wound. If it was plugged into it, if it was hooked up to electricity, they could film as long as they wanted, but in spring-wound, they can only do 32 seconds, so... All the shots are 32 seconds or less, aside from a few. Again, just working in these incredible limitations. So I
0: I know I, I, in my heart of hearts, I want this to be a comedy podcast, right? However, I just find so many things interesting, and I also find them funny. And so if we were to do a more serious subject, I would be doing nothing but, like, making jokes about it, but because this is kind of like a goofy thing about a movie that failed. All I can do is just talk about how interesting it is because these pictures are very cool. Like it's this young girl in a uh, kind of a boxy dress. She's got clean white socks on. She's wearing sandals. It's a very dark place. She looks like she's standing on like a dirty floor and there's like a concrete wall just behind her, but it's all faded to black and just further behind her uh, to the, to the left of the frame. There is a better lit concrete wall that's very dirty, so it kind of implies that she is somewhere in an underground location. But the girl is holding on to a leash that is connected to a dog, looks like a Doberman Pinscher. The whole frame is so dark that the dog is completely black and fades entirely into the background, which gives it the impression that she is holding on to a leash of like to an animal created of just darkness. And that's just a cool shot. Yeah. That's just a really interesting looking thing. I mean, you can see the dog's legs coming out of the dark, but, like, it's still, like, the implication of this is, is just so interesting and eerie.
1: Yeah, like, between the writing and the pictures that he picked, you could tell Ben Solo, this is someone who is both very passionate about film and also is, like, very knowledgeable about it. Like, he knew which ones to post. He knew what looked cool. He knew what to post mm-hmm. to be, like, this is something worth preserving and saving. And really, I'm going I'm to tell you up front, this whole thing is basically about how this, this poster, Ben Solo, what a man she is, how cool he is, and like, how much stuff he did in spite of all the crap he had to go through to do it. So right from the beginning, this guy rolls. I'm just telling you up front. Animals that were
0: unwisely written into the movie and refused to cooperate, which is the caption in the last one, is another odd kind of mussy-haired, looks like a young girl clutching onto an animal in the back of a, a convertible. It's all very relatable stuff. And because this is a movie where the artifices of filmmaking are constantly crumbling and being rebuilt a little shakier every time, it holds a certain fascination to film buffs that place it above worse and more boring films, which there are no shortage of then or now. Simply put, it's memorable. And if you've seen it, you'll remember Torgo and the Master. You'll remember the interminable driving that opens the movie, and the weird squabbling of the wives, and the loungy soundtrack, and the unconvincing dubbing, the Scorpio Rising-esque invocation of Manos, the god of primordial darkness. All of this in a film that's 70 minutes and change. Uh, Yeah, no, it kind of gives me like a... It it almost looks a little Russian, because it it looks... It kind of just reminds me of some of like the... Just some of the scenes I've seen from, like, the photography of at least, like, the Ukraine and stuff like that, and, like, early Russian films. Then again, you, you really get to know a film through how it moves rather than just the stills, but... Yeah. So rather than have Manos fade away as a footnote only with a cruddy video transfer to remember it by, i resolved to make it a personal project to restore it. I've put up a simple website to share my project with friends, manosinhd.com and recently made it public. The very idea of seeing Manos on Blu-ray started off as a joke, but now has become something more real and, in a way, natural. Making a living as a cameraman, I've become familiar with the post-production and the steps necessary to properly remaster Manos. The scans you see were made by me on a simple desktop scanner so I could share better the potential of this workprint. A professional motion picture film scan will look even better with far more dynamic range. The spare 16mm print will be used as a source of audio and as a reference to the movie as it was originally edited. The work print has undergone a professional cleaning and has been properly stored. After I secure funds, it will be captured in 2K to DPX files and given a touch of digital scratch removal with the PFC Clean Suite. All the while, I will be taking pains to reserve the original grain structure of the Ektachrome film, which of that era was quite prominent. In addition to making a digital restoration of Manos in sufficient quality to produce a new print or digital projection files, I will be creating a limited-run Blu-ray and making the restoration available for repertory screenings. While I have no illusion that this film is anything but a niche market, I feel that if I don't restore it, no one else will. Yeah, I... I, I is that a thing that you can do? Just take a a, a known public domain thing and just put it on a blu-ray and just sell it that
1: is a thing yeah like a lot of those like dollar store dvds that you'll see are public domain cartoons or movies that they just slap on a dvd and sell and what they'll do is maybe they'll have like a new title sequence on it or like a new interstitial title or something and that's what they have the copyright on so they can sell it but the actual movie is public domain interesting like if you ever grew up with like a vhs tape that was like three hours of classic cartoons from like the 20s or something oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah. that was okay. that was them yeah, selling you can get those dvds stuff.
0: Film restoration is something that too often falls by the wayside in troubled economic times. Though it's doubtful I will change anyone's mind about Manos, I would like to send a message that every film, regardless of the place that it holds in movie history, deserves a fair shot to be maintained and presented in the best way possible. Although I hope and pray with every fiber of my being that 45 years from now I won't hobble over to my hollow computer and see a thread about this for Meet the Spartans. Yeah, that's true. Jesus Christ. ah, Man, I remember those movies. The whole origin of, I think that's the origin of red letter media is like the, the, just the wave of dog shit movies with bright red titles. Yeah, I'm
1: so glad the blank movie people like cannot find work anymore. That was a horrible time to be, to be around for movies. And I've seen, I've seen more of those than anyone should have. And so, yeah, this is the big OP. This is his big sales pitch. And I think he did a great job. He really pitches why this movie is worth preserving. What a great find he has. Like, of all the people to find this, this is, like, the best possible person to have found it. He's It's a it's in oh, good yeah. hands. And it seems like this is, like, a really good place for this all to start. It's a gift that that we're able to
0: see some of these things, you know?
1: Yeah, there are so many movies. Like, I think something like 75% of all movies made before 1930 are lost forever or something. Like, just because studios that made these movies didn't think it was worth preserving them. And it's only because people... Would go out of the way to record or save them that we eventually were able to save and restore them so this is this really is like history this is a really cool find
0: like all of like the first season of Doctor who is gone or something like that I remember reading that somewhere
1: yeah and in the thread itself for people who will read the document there is some talk about that too as people just kind of it's a very, the thread itself is very informative as talking about lost media and how this happened. So I'm sort of an admirer of the lost media community. I've even uploaded some stuff mm-hmm. that, like, technically was not online until I did it. So I've contributed a little bit. I think it's a worthwhile endeavor and it's a, it's a cool scene that exists. And so after they introduced this, there's a couple posters just sort of gushing about it. Everyone's very excited. People are talking about the usual, like, you know, getting a distributor. Uh, one poster shows up, I want to mention Egbert Seuss. Um, He's worth mentioning because um, his original name was Og Ogleby. He's a film restoration guy who worked on, I think his most well-known thing is uh, he did the thief and the cobbler, the recobbled cut. His whole thing is that he he's really into film restoration and like, taking unfinished movies and preserving them. So he has tons of resources. He's given this guy like an email at Criterion to send it to like the UCLA film and TV archive. So not only is Ben Solo a gifted citizen, but the goons and cinema Discusso; these are people that know movies and work in movies and are passionate about it and are giving them a lot of resources. There,
0: there's a DM function on something awful. Right?
1: Yeah. If you have platinum, you can DM people. Okay. Yeah. So how prominent was people having platinum? You have to pay an extra 10 bucks for it. So I think a lot of people don't have it or they, some people even gift it to other people so they could send them DMs.
0: Oh, okay. Cause I, I just see somebody posting somebody's email just like that. I'm like, wow, you're just throwing that right there. Okay.
1: <laughs> and, and then people are also saying that they're willing to financially support it saying like, I don't even own a Blu-ray player and I would buy one. And this all starts happening the the date that this is posted, November 22nd, 2011. So this is like right before Thanksgiving. Right. So he does this post and then a few days later, Bill Corbett, who is one of the mystery science three thousand people, found out about it on Twitter. Already, this is starting to spread outside of something awful. And then there's kind of a bit of foreshadowing here. A poster named Evil Mastermind posts, at the risk of being a party pooper, who actually owns the rights to Manos? It was re-released like two months ago by Shout Factory as part of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Special Edition, and People are pointing out uh, no, and it's in the public domain because that's one of the things about the movie. When they printed it, they didn't print the copyright information on it. And this was back in the day where if you didn't specifically print the copyright notice on the title, then it wasn't copyrighted. It's the same thing as why, like, uh, Night of the Living Dead is public domain.
0: Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, the
1: original George Romero movie.
0: I think that's why there's, like, you can see footage of it in other horror movies. Yeah, because it's public domain, like, so anyone can use it.
1: And sort yeah. of a neat little bit of, like, recursiveness was from one of their Photoshop threads. Somebody made, like, a Criterion cover of Manos the Hands of Fame. People are suggesting, hey, maybe we could actually use this as the cover, which is cute. But, but Ben Solo, That's he's funny. talking, uh, he's following up on it, and he's talking about developing um, what he's doing. And there we go. He's, he, he comments on the copyright question here. If you could read the highlighted part there.
0: The big question mark for me and something I will be consulting with more experienced people to answer is whether the restoration of the work print will be sufficient to earn a copyright as a work in its own right. And yeah, I mean, I have a pretty broad view of what is and is not art and what is and what is not original. Um, but yeah, I think that you could argue that if you make substantial enough changes to the original straight up, just the result of the film on the camera. You could argue that that is like a new work, like editors are are so incredibly powerful, like they can they can change the nature of an entire movie.
1: The movie itself might be public domain, but if you re-edit it, then your edit of it could be a copyrighted work. or in this case, the restoration would be. It really kind of gets into the neat thing of like how you can own a work and how many different ways it can be owned. it's it's very complicated, and that's why there's just so much nuance in this and why there are so many different legal issues with it so but they're trying to figure this out and he so he's giving his estimates for this project how long it should take if you could read the highlighted bit there it's
0: looking like a six-month job from start to finish unless something crazy happens
1: so a six-month job and that's his original estimate just remember that okay now that
0: you've highlighted that that tells me that this is going to be a absolute disaster
1: (laughs) yeah so here we are so now the next day november 23rd uh, they get featured on badass digest the next day cinematic titanic which is something that some of the mystery science theater three thousand people work on they know about it so uh, those people are all tweeting about it
0: it's funny that if you really want to get the attention of somebody who's like much bigger than you you have to like really work through all of their friends before you can get their attention Like, if I wanted to get the attention of, like, a bigger artist, I have to figure out where that artist gets their news uh, about art and then, like, try to work my way into, like, into their view. You know what I mean? So it, it is funny that they're having to, like, work their way up.
1: Yeah, that is a very interesting thought experiment. Like, if I had something like this, how would I get this to the people who needed to know about it? Like I think I think right. the best version of that is imagining like if I needed to tell something to the president of the United States how would I get that message to them and just like thinking oh, yeah, the way through sure.
0: it cuz like there there's just such a, a wall between artists and you know the the public at large I mean even for me like I'm nobody and I, I get constant fucking DMs and I'm just like if, if somebody really wanted to tell me something they would have to like break through a few different layers to talk to me I mean, I can't imagine if, like, MS3K is, like, you know, those guys are a household name, so.
1: Yeah, because anyone who's that big, they're getting pinged so much, there's just so much noise you have to get through. It's, like, that's why if you ever, like, DM a popular account or something and they never read it or reply, that doesn't mean they hate you. It just means, that like, you know, they're busy. They got a lot of stuff going on. And so people are trying to, you know, people are trying to help out. They're making vectors of, like, the title. It makes the front page of Reddit... People are making little like flyers like Len Fate a Hand with the Manos HD website. And then Mike Nelson from Mystery Science Three Thousand, who has a something awful account. Hey Rich, it's me, Michael J. Nelson.
0: Michael J. Nelson, how are you doing?
1: Because a couple years before, Low Tax actually was working with Rift Tracks. He did a commentary with him on the movie Troll 2. <laughs> I even posted the little picture of their of their poster they made for it. And also, Lotax made some videos that they showed during the live Rift Tracks uh, performances on the Fathom events. I actually attended one of those and got to see it. So that's another funny thing about Lotax and his whole, like, this long string of fuck-ups. At some point, he got in with this successful, like, these people are still working now. They have, like, their own streaming service and everything. And, like, he could have been a part of that, but he just fucked it up. Yeah, he just
0: fumbled the bag every
1: possible yeah, way. Yeah, so here's the real Mike Nelson on there is like, yeah, I'm interested in this. Let's talk to you. So to go even further, November 30th, eight days <laughs> oh later, Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert, who was Ebert, still alive when this was happening, <laughs> tweets about it. The miraculous
0: story of the rescue of man the hands of fate, and a cache of other prints headed for the dumpster.
1: So yeah, just... And That's crazy. This is just an interesting... Just this part alone is interesting in how something from 2011. This is like well past the glory days of something awful. It was already kind of obscure then. Taking this this obscure form to all the way up to like the most well known person in film criticism in the span of eight days. It's just neat seeing that That's seeing wild. it leapfrogging there.
0: Yeah, that it's just yeah. I mean, I I guess it's a pretty easy way to blow up is if you find a missing thing that every not. I guess nobody was really looking for it, but like you know finding. Finding a second angle of like a, a very important film would be would be a way to blow it all up. So
1: yeah. So he has this. He has all this positive attention. Everything looks like it should be great and smooth sailing. But then, uh, satellite news, which is Mystery Science Theory 3000's uh, like sort of news site, starts. There's a story about another Manos project that's happening at this time, where a guy is making a sequel to Manos: The Hands of Fate. And they started filming it already, and people are starting to notice, wait, there's another Banos project happening. Are you guys in competition? Is something going on? And I've, uh, I post some pictures of the guy talking about this movie. It looks really bad. Like, it has, like, wrestlers in it as, like, the main actors, like, from MMA. There's, like, all these pop culture references. It looks like somebody who's, like, trying to make, like, a wackety-schmackety, bad-on-purpose movie that isn't funny bad. It just sucks. Like, there are so many movies like this.
0: Yeah, I I'm going to go out and offend a lot of nerds in the world of like movies, but like I cannot get behind bad on purpose movies like it's so, so boring to me to watch a movie that is like when when the whole conceit of the movie is like, "Uh, get a load of this. We acted like we knew how to make a movie. It's like, oh, this is just wasting everyone's time. Why make something bad when you can make something good?
1: Yeah, like the thing that makes bad movies good and fun and interesting is that they are the people who make them are genuinely passionate about them. And they're like an interesting window into their minds and everything. Something like that where it's just like, oh, look how bad this is. Can you believe we're being this shitty? You're just wasting our time. And yeah, so Ben Solo is in touch with the people from Mystery Science Three Thousand, And then the guy who's doing the Mano sequel he makes a comment on the satellite news. and I think I'll read his. So my voice can be like the opposite of yours for Ben Solo. So he says, the gentleman who owns the print and I have spoken at length, barring any contract bog downs. I am planning on funding his restoration. I have legal possession of the originals, all of them. I had the idea to restore Manos and HD two years ago. So I was like WTF. So right in the beginning, he's inserting himself into this. He's like, actually, I'm going to pay for this. And one of his big things is that one of the actors in the movie who is departed, his son was acting in the sequel. So he, he, his big thing is that he has a connection to the real actors. And he says the guy's son is, quote, tired of everyone raping his dad's creation, though it was his own fault for not copywriting the film. So this guy comes off immediately super unlikable. It's just like a huge asshole. Jesus Christ. I plan on releasing a special edition of Manos with new footage, sound design, voice acting, edit, soundtrack, all from ideas from Hal Warren himself, who is the son of that actor. I am sharing all of my profits with original cast members, and in some cases, their families. I encourage the young man. He's referring to Ben Solo here. That's a really douchey thing about him. He always calls him like the kid oh, yeah. or the young man. It's so obnoxious to do the same and
0: also i think we can all anyone who's uh read about the uh hd release of silent hill 2 and 3 knows that when you go into an existing work and then you add in new sound design voice acting editing and like kind of move things around it doesn't work (laughs) like it really doesn't work
1: yeah this is almost like two competing ideas as well or where ben solo is very respectful wants to preserve the film and like make sure that it's restored to what it looked like when they first shot it. And because that's the thing, the reason why the movie looks so shitty and all those is because when they got developed, it was like a cheap rush development job. So all the prints of the movie looked like shit. Nobody had ever seen it looking this good before. Whereas this guy, his thing is, Oh, I'm going to release a better version. I'm going to put all my own shit on top of it and make it even better. And it just, just also
0: saying that it was my idea. First is just hysterical, which is like, I one prove it and two like I don't know I mean I have legal possession of all of the originals well you clearly don't because
1: this is all because a guy has access to it I I I don't know yeah It's putting this doc together. I was like, this guy comes across as very Trumpy. Like the way that he talks about stuff, just the very, just all the all the bravado and like inserting himself and stuff. It's, it's just, he, he's like so cartoonishly evil and bad. He's a wonderful villain. His name is Rupert, by the way, that's what I'm going to be calling him through this. Rupert. Rupert's not a good, yeah, I don't know any good Ruperts. This guy sounds kind of like a dick. And Ben Solo shows up and starts talking about it.
0: This guy, Rupert, has talked to me on the phone a few times, but I don't really know where he got these ideas. I distinctly remember telling him that he would have to donate just like everyone else. He did offer me a smiley, quote, percentage for compensation, though.
1: Yeah, everyone is immediately just calling out what an asshole this guy is. Jesus Christ. It yeah. makes me think
0: of, like, you know, you you see somebody running to finish the, the race And then basically you have somebody waiting at the finish line and then they just jump into the race and try to run the last hundred yards to like take the first place title away from whoever actually ran the race. Like Rupert's not actually doing any of this fucking work. It's it's this other guy that's actually doing it all.
1: Yeah. And he's trying to swoop in and get credit for it and like act like he's helping him. It's just everything about I'm, I'm glad that nobody fell for this. Everyone is immediately just like, wow, fuck this guy.
0: Full transparency time, when we were talking a little while back, Rupert and I did manage to agree that we're making two legally distinct projects. He's not interested in maintaining the original 1966 edition after all, but in copyrighting a new special edition of the original to supplant the old one, which anyone is legally free to attempt. Joe Warren, son of Hal, recently signed over the rights to his inherited Manos outtakes to Rupert's special edition although this was sight unseen, and we don't know how long the outtakes are or what they consist of. And up till now, they were just going to go with a budget HD transfer in Arizona, where Joe is. I did ask the two of them if I could negotiate a good 2K scanning session on their behalf and oversee the digitizing of whatever outtake footage they have, regardless of length and with no rights given or implied. That way, I could at least go home satisfied that Joe's unique footage is preserved as well. But if he didn't bite, I'd have no choice but to drop the idea and end what little association we'd had up until this point.
1: Yes, so Ben is going above and beyond. Like, I would want nothing to do with this guy if I was in his position. But he's like, look, this guy has original footage. I want to at least make sure that it's restored and preserved properly, even if it's just for his benefit. I'm willing to work with him. So, again, just Ben, he's he's such a good guy in this at every step.
0: You know, I have uh, I have some experience with this in comedy of being like really passionate about a project, really getting into it like a big leap forward in terms of a comedy career. And then somebody else from out of nowhere just swoops in and goes, actually, I wouldn't benefit from that. So that's not going to happen. And they shut the whole thing down. And it's like you had nothing to do with it. In the fucking first place. Like, what is this?
1: Yeah, this is, just, this is just a good window into all these personalities in the world of filmmaking, even in something as niche as this. There's more BS from Rupert. He shows up, so I'm going to read Rupert's stuff here. He's like, Well, time will tell if Manos HD guy and I find common ground to work together. I feel we recently had a good chat where both sides were understood. I will retract my statement about funding his restoration as he just informed me that he will fund it himself via donations. We, are, we, we also still disagree about the subject of helping the families of the Manos survivors. But then again, I have been told by everyone I work with that I am crazy for doing so. I just want to say referring to, to them as survivors is very funny. Survivors is so fucking weird. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, like, technically, in, in an obituary, it says, like, you are survived by blank, you know? Yeah. But, like... Yeah, phrasing it like that Ma- like manos the, the Survivor sounds of, like something
1: or, that would be on like a daytime television ad from some manos Survivor from, from some lawyer that's like if you're a Manos Survivor call AA five two two to get representation. This should by no means demonize Manos HD guys. If he chooses not to cut in the Manos survivors, etc., he plans on using any profits he makes to perpetuate the restoration process back to filming and archiving. This is noble, but at the end of the day, I just feel sharing the wealth is the way I prefer to go. Karma and whatnot. Just God, he's such a douche. <laughs> just, oh yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, well, it's it's just a way that you can like phrase everything and like the. F- most flat flattering possible terms like, Oh, I'm actually doing this for the good of society. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, uh, Robert Evans has a whole thing about that, about like the, the kind of fake altruism of major corporations where it's just like, yeah, I could pay people money, whatever that is, or I could keep all the money and I could save the entire planet. And it's like, but your plan to save the entire planet is like, I don't know, putting, putting, microchips and people and shit like that like you're 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 not actually going to contribute to anything this it it's just such an easy way to convince yourself that you're doing anything other than exactly what you want and this guy already sounds like an idiot
1: yeah or like the time we're in right now with rtx collapsing like all the good quotes about that guy doing his like ethical altruism thing or whatever and that turns out like Mm -hmm. he was just stealing money and didn't spend any of it on that good stuff he promised And I did offer him percentages for his service on my special edition, and furthermore offered him opportunities moving forward with my sequel. Again, to set the record straight, I think we want the same things. I just prefer not to be competing, rather working together for similar goals. I think Manos HD is a good kid with his heart in the right place, but I also hear the other side. The side of people profiting off of Hal Warren because of his epic mistake, public domain, etc. I am working hand-in-hand hand with Joe Warren, Hal's son, who is the living authority on Hal and explicitly knew his dad's wishes and ambitions as to <sighs> what to become of the footage and film. I am here to make those wishes a reality and to make sure his family is compensated. Soon...
0: Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Let me. We, we have to just put, it, put out here that nobody's kid knows that much about their parents. Like, I know a lot about my dad. But... To know his explicit wishes, unless, I mean, was the kid actually involved in this, in the production of the original Manos?
1: Like he probably wasn't even born when this happened. He probably, yeah. Exactly. So, like, I, I mean, it's
0: kind of the same thing with, like, with like, didn't Tolkien's kid write, like, finish off some of his work or
1: something? Yeah, thing? or, or like, a Brian it, like, Herbert's son, the guy who wrote Dune, he wrote some of the later Dune right, sequels. Yeah,
0: that might be what I'm thinking. Which is just, like, I, I wasn't we we're not we're not the same fucking people how would i know you know yeah
1: and this is such a thing in the entertainment world like to do a recent one um h bomber guy who is an amazing youtuber and also oh, and also yeah. is in my discord group which i still cannot get over it's it's i'm still star star dazzled about it but he did a video recently about the oof sound in mind, um, in Roblox uh-huh. and the ownership of it. And this is actually kind of an interesting parallel to all that. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it kind of ties into that as well. The whole um, the whole this this person taking credit for everything. It's it's funny that like
0: I can perfectly imagine if me and my brother inherit my mom's house, right? and then we find out that it's actually a historic building and it's super crazy valuable, like hundreds of millions of dollars somehow, you know, it would like likely put a lot of strain on our relationship. Right. And so but when you, when you pull that back and you think like, what is the littlest, most insignificant thing that would rip you apart from your morality? And it's just amazing that like people can be made into, such a dick. I mean, maybe this this guy was a dick all the way through. It kind of sounds like he was, but like he is fighting tooth and nail and being so fucking smarmy over like a bad movie. You know, yes, it's a piece of history, sure,
1: but like this dude just radiates such wildly dickish behavior. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's so over the top. Like this guy is like Billy Mitchell levels of villainy. Oh, God, yeah. There needs to be, like, a Wikipedia just for, like, those kinds of psychos. <laughs> like the villain's wiki, but for real life. Soon, you will hear from Joe himself. Also he misspelled here. He used the wrong form of it. As he will be the voice of the Special Edition Project, Joe is an awesome guy and a former MLB baseball player. I think Manos HD guy can be great service to our cause. So, for the record, I hope he joins our team. Either way, looks like all of you are in a win-win scenario regardless of how the factions choose to move forward. Okay, gotta go to El Paso and beyond. Rupert. Yeah, Rupert is just... Every time he he shows up, it's just... Yeah, call him the Manos HD guy instead of... Like, he could call him Ben. And so now here we are and des- it's December and Ben Solo is at the Pickford Center for Motion Picture Study. Like he is going out and doing stuff and like he's whining and dining, hustling, and bustling. He's budgeting a fundraiser. He's talking to people that do restoration. Someone who has the same scanner that the Criterion Collection uses for their film scans is going to be doing it. And he's showing some of his scan oh, demos. Wow. Like, there's one the one from Mystery Science 3000 and on the bottom it's night and day.
0: Oh that's crazy. Yeah, because the 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 one for Mystery Science Theater is like completely washed out. Like the blacks are kind of like a muddy brown. You don't even get some of the uh color. There's no blues in it. It's like space. when they developed it there's yeah. no blue. Yeah. It it look it, you know, I guess it's funny like you'd have to really go out of your way to make a movie look that bad um on purpose. And so when you see what it really looks like you get like a It's a very different scene. It also carries very different emotions because uh, you actually can see the character's eyes and like more of the musculature of his face and stuff like that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. The guy who plays the master, like he has an interesting face and he has like a good creepy stare. Like he is an interesting presence in the film. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So now December 12th, it's on NPR. They interview him. And they talk about restoring it. This is continuing to blow up. We get the detail that Rupert is planning to redo the entire soundtrack for the movie with his own music. So, (laughs) again, just more egotism from Rupert. Power Man 5000 (laughs) the whole way through. (laughs) Just the entire Tony Hawk soundtrack. So he launches a Kickstarter for Manos the Restoration. The goal was 10000 He gets $48,000 with 818 backers. Mm-hmm. Everyone is into this project. It is going beyond expectations. Super successful. There's a link to the Kickstarter in the doc if you want to check it out. And Fangoria... So now we're up in January of 2012. Fangoria does an article about the Manos sequel... And they interview Rupert again. We have some more fun Rupert stuff here. We, the people who represent the original cast in all things Manos, have been working on the HD restoration for over 14 months, he says. Recently, some kid who found a print of Manos at an auction is trying to cash in with the same idea. Myself and Joe Warren do not acknowledge, recognize, or approve of what this kid is doing. In the end, we just ask that the fans hold on to their money and wait for our version. It will include tons of never-before-seen footage, plenty of extras, cast and crew commentary, interviews, plus surprises. And the proceeds will go back to Joe Warren and the Manos faithful. So he's not only, he's he's actively trying to fuck them over now. This is, like,
0: so crazy, like, how aggressive he is. So do we know more about Rupert? Because he's talking like a rich guy. Like, he's talking like he's got a lot of money, and, like... I, I, I know a lot of egomaniacs that don't have a lot of, a fucking dollar to their name, but, like, he definitely talks like someone who's always gotten what he wanted.
1: Yeah, like, we're, we're going to have some more developments with him as we go along, but I don't really know too much about him. One thing i is Rupert isn't his real name. I I, I didn't <laughs> include his real name in this. People dug it up, but, like, even though this guy sucks, I don't want to... You know, I don't want to dox him. So, um... Right. But yeah, so, th- th- yeah, this guy...
0: I mean, and if if his name is like Leslie, you do have to tell me this is a comedy. podcast. No,
1: unfortunately, no. It's not really an embarrassing name or anything. It's just something like Steve. But uh, well, what what did they? Why did he change? It's it? just a stage name. Like he, I guess he thought Rupert oh, sounded God. cool. I think he's a guy who wants to be called Rupert.
0: It's he so sh- funny because people ask me, I'll be like, "Hi, I'm Winslow Demay," and they'll be like, "All right, but what's your real name?" I'm like, <laughs> "Man, Winslow is not
1: that crazy of a name, but." Yeah, no. That, I mean, it's the mouse <laughs> from Cat Dog. Everyone knows Winslow. Yeah, exactly. And here we go. There's some here's some stuff from Benzo. If you want to read the highlight a bit, this is a very fun detail about who Rupert is. The score will be written by Rupert, who does
0: incidental music for reality TV shows for a living. His credits include Keeping Up with the Kardashians. If I had accepted Rupert's original proposal, my restoration would be included on the disc as an extra
1: feature. So he's a reality TV guy. So that that explains a lot. Right like, he has, he has, like, rich fails on energy, but also that he works in reality TV, so it's like, of course, you know, the the shows that are all about, like, bringing out the worsted people would attract someone like this. Absolutely. And also, so his whole thing is that he's trying to, like, sweep this up under his production and have them just be, them be relegated to an extra on his project. And of course, Ben Solo is not going to do that because he's, he's too smart for that. So this is the first more, more scans. This is the first 2k scan he got. And we've seen the picture earlier. So again, this looks incredible. This looks fantastic. Yeah. And this actress, like she went on to be, have like a successful modeling career. I think she was like miss El Paso oh, or yeah, something. And you can tell cause she's very pretty. And also she has like a very haunting stare. Mm-hmm. And again, just for comparison, what it used to look like. Oh wow! Yeah, the MS3K just looks old. It's like when, when you were a kid and you LA. had to make like a document look old for history class. You rubbed like a tea bag all over it. It's like they did that to the movie. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah, it looks like she's just been printed onto the side of a brown paper bag.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of a this is a deep dig for something awful, but in the middle of the thread A-Trek shows up talking about his Star Trek The Next Generation animated gifts. Like t- it's kind of funny because we're talking about this guy who always inserts himself into stuff, and here is a guy from the forums who is famous for doing that in more ways than one, but um, bum showing up and being like Hey, um, I did a bunch of gifts. Um, it, maybe it's related to what you're doing. I thought you might like to know. Bye. I mean, I guess you gotta get your name out there. Yeah, I mean, self. I'm learning that the hard way. Self promotion is a good thing to do, but yeah, you know, there's ways to do it. And also, so January 31st, it makes it to the front page of Something Awful itself. They cover the restoration, and this was how the front page used to be used. It would highlight stuff that happened on the forums, and ever since 2020, the front page has been dormant, because when the site was sold to Jeffrey, he's currently, his stance right now is, we're trying to fix all the coding, it's a long process, we're not going to focus on the front page till later, because it's low priority, and honestly, people don't really, that's not what people come to the site for anymore.
0: Hi everybody, Winslow here. It sounds like we got a little ahead of ourselves and we had to break this episode into two parts. But if you tune in next week, we will have the thrilling conclusion of Manos, The Hands of Fate. Thanks for listening. But yeah, if anybody's uh, in, I'll be at Anime Zap in Peoria. And if you're in Louisville this February, I'll be at Oddities and Curiosities. And I'm going back to Peoria for Peoria Comic-Con. C2E2. And then, in, you know, fucking, you just go to my website. You can see all the other dates that I'm at. I'm, I'm going to be all over the country. I'm sure the master won't throw us out. Well, how
1: about it, Targo?
0: I'm From the Internet was created by Jay Brandstetter and Winslow Domain. You can contact us at iftipod at gmail.com or at iftipod on Twitter. Intro and after music by Steve is broke. Audio engineering and editing by Kill Hamster.